New to EM Cases, it's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Max Benyakov, Assistant Professor at the University of Toronto, Pediatric Emergency Physician who works both at pediatric and adult EDs in Toronto. And Dr. Benyakov has the case of his career to tell us about. So welcome, Max, to EM Cases. Thank you, Anton. It's a pleasure to be here. And I've been a long-time listener of your program and the best case ever. And this case had such an impact on me that I wanted to share it with your listeners. So the case happened while I was working one of my evening shifts on the acute side of the emergency department. I was called overhead by one of our triage nurses to the recess room. And as soon as I walked into a room, I see this gray, blue baby that looked quite irritable and unwell. And all I gathered from the triage note that this was an eight-week-old with some heart condition and the vital signs that looked quite abnormal. Strikingly, the SATs were 43%. Heart rate anywhere between 160 and 180 on the monitor. Blood pressure that was normal for this baby's age. A low-grade temp of 38.1 and a rest rate of anywhere between 60 and 70 on the monitor. So we were working on getting the ABC secured and our nurses, by some miracle of luck, were able to get a IV access on the first try. So we applied oxygen via non-rebreather. We were trying to reposition the baby and reduce the baby's work of breathing a little bit. And the baby looked quite dry and malperfused, the cap refill of anywhere between four and five seconds. So we decided to go ahead and give the baby a bolus of fluids. Now you gotta remember that this is a heart patient, i.e. they had a congenital heart disease. So I knew that I was working with a patient with congenital heart disease, I didn't know what it was. But um, we decided to go ahead and give the baby a bolus of fluid. These patients can be quite sensitive to, uh, to fluid shifts and dehydration and, and overzealous fluid administration. And so we decided to go ahead with a smaller bolus of 10 ml per kilo as opposed to your usual 20 ml per kilo. So at this point, we knew that we needed more information. I asked my resident to go ahead and pull up the records of this patient and to figure out what the heck we're, we're dealing with. Because unfortunately, the parents did not speak any English. And all we could surmise is that uh, they've had some siblings at home with, uh, with a common cold, with runny nose and a cough, uh, a dad that had a low-grade fever and a bit of vomiting, but that's it. So we were escalating the oxygen therapy. The non-rebreather was really not improving the oxygen beyond 50%. I think the highest I saw was 55 on the monitor, and I was getting quite worried. So, of course, the RT was called to the room as soon as the baby was brought into our recess bay. And as soon as the RT walked into the room, the first words that I heard from this RT was, we need to intubate this patient now. All right, so this RT came in. You've got this really sick baby. They're saying, we need to intubate now. What did you tell them? So I said, no. Now, realizing we're dealing with a slightly different physiology, I had the instinct to step back for, for just a few seconds and acknowledge my colleagues' advice, but also trying to convey to them that this is not your typical ABC patient. While they were severely dehydrated, we were working on that, and of course, the oxygen was not good. The SATs were not improving. I thought that intubating the patient and RSIing the patient and giving them the usual induction meds would probably lead to some cardiovascular collapse because this baby was irritable, but maintaining their blood pressure and circulation enough with the adrenergic response that taking that away would probably lead to this baby arresting in my recess room. And this is the last thing I want to do to my patients. All right, let, let's dig a little bit deeper into that. So you've got, a, let me just uh, understand this. You've got a kid with a SAT of 50% on a non-rebreather and you're not intubating because you're worried that they're going to crash. And this is because they've got a history of congenital heart disease that you're not sure what about. Tell me, 
what exactly were you thinking there in terms of not intubating? So we know that these patients are quite sensitive to fluids. They're also very sensitive to any drugs you would use, whether it's ketamine or, or tomidate. Taking away any uh, sympathetic drive and respiratory drive would probably take away any cardiac output or blood pressure that you had. And the other thing is, is I knew this was a con- congenital heart disease patient. I didn't know what the lesions were yet. But these patients are also quite sensitive to oxygen. And so we often should not be targeting a normal SATs when resuscitating them either way. So at, this, at the same point, I knew that the, we need to intervene. So I asked my RT to set up a BiPAP machine. Hopefully, to take away some of the respiratory drive from this patient and help the baby because baby was having a lot of congestion and, and was having trouble. Because as, as we found out, the whole family was sick with a viral illness and we were probably dealing with a case of bronchiolitis gone bad. At the same time, my resident came over with a report of this patient's clinic visit just two days ago. And baby was quite healthy, actually, besides the fact that it had hypoplastic right heart and tricuspid atresia. And up until the moment where his siblings got the cold at home, baby was quite healthy and was not in any decompensated state. All right. So at this point, you find out that the patient has a hypoplastic RV, tricuspid atresia, and a large VSD. So here we are, We're, we have the BiPAP going, we have a second boss of 10 mLs per kilo going, and the baby, unfortunately, is actually doing worse. Our SATs are actually now lower, the respiratory effort actually is going up, and this goes against everything that I've been taught. And here I realized that, it, that I need some help. Wow, so even though you've had six years of pediatric emergency training and uh, quite a bit of experience with critically ill infants... Uh, this is when you thought you needed help. Yeah, because as I realized, our usual interventions to usual physiology were not having the usual effect. So I knew that we needed something more and something different from what we were doing. Luckily, uh, the ICU fellow was down in the, in the recess room within two minutes of being called. We put our heads together and uh, we were thinking that maybe this baby actually is responding to a case of bronchiolitis in a bit of a tet spell. You know, they are desatting, they're dehydrated, they're working hard to breathe, yet they're not improving the oxygen sat. And regardless of what we're doing, we're not making any headway. Okay, well, that makes sense because you were treating a cyanotic congenital heart disease patient who was failing to oxygenate despite good ventilation and potentially all the blood flow was redirected to the left heart via their VSD. All right. Together with the ICU fellow in the room and my cardiology colleagues on the phone, we decided to do something different. You know, at that spell, you want to move the blood flow from the left side of the heart back into the right side of the heart, try to improve the blood flow in the lungs. You also try to take away some of that work of breathing and make the baby a little less irritable by giving them mild anxiolysis with a bit of morphine. And you also want to try to correct any form of acidosis by giving them bicarbonate intravenously. One of the drugs also that we use to improve the blood flow in, in, on the right side of the heart is by giving phenylephrine because that will increase your afterload. And together with our colleagues in the room, we actually tried those management strategies and actually resulted in the baby being more comfortable and more stable. And the other thing that we did is we tried to reduce some of the pressures that we're applying to the baby's lungs 
because the BiPAP that we were delivering at high pressures actually was pushing all that blood flow back away from the lungs into the left side of the heart. So we eased off on that and we tried to improve the blood flow in the pulmonary circulation, try to get that, that oxygen to get back into the, into the systemic circulation. Wow. So that must have been pretty hairy. So the amazing thing about this case so far is that all the usual things that you're trying are just making the kid worse and worse and worse and worse. And I got to say that even though that you're certified in pediatric emergency medicine, six years of training and a few years of experience, you knew when you needed help and then realized that this wasn't uh, such a straight ahead case and that your normal oxygenation strategies and, and volume resuscitation strategies weren't going to work. So what ended up happening to this kid? So with mild non-invasive ventilation, some ongoing morphine and blood pressure support, the baby was admitted to the ICU. And because the baby was decompensating and actually uh, not maintaining the pulmonary circulation anymore, they actually decided to, uh, the, the surgeons decided to take the baby to the OR earlier than they expected, try to correct that mismatch of pulmonary to systemic circulation and getting a shunt that would help and circulate the lungs a little better and uh, correct some of the, the intra-cardiac shunts as well. And eventually the baby was discharged home. Wow, congrats. That's awesome. So, uh, Dr. Ben Yakov, what did you learn from this case? So, one of the lessons that I took away from this case is that bronchiolitis, we tend to think about this disease as a respiratory illness, and we tend to focus on the SATs. Although we know that from a study out of Toronto, that when the babies are desatting but otherwise well, they actually have a good outcome, regardless of what the initial saturation was, as long as they're hydrating and breathing comfortably. But what we really should be focusing on is that, that when a young infant comes in with bronchiolitis, we should really be focusing on their hydration status and their volume status overall. Because as demonstrated by this case, young infants are quite susceptible to very fast dehydration and decompensating from, from having just a simple respiratory illness because they would rather breathe than drink. And uh, there, there have been case reports of kids with congenital heart disease with just a seemingly viral illness that led to quite severe dehydration and even death because their volume status are so precarious and so, so they're so sensitive to very, very quick decompensation. So those are some great take-home points that, first, that bronchiolitis really should be thought of more as a volume status issue rather than just an oxygenation saturation issue, and that any kids with congenital heart disease are especially sensitive to changes in volume status. And so when they come in with things like bronchiolitis or gastro or any viral illness, you should really think twice about sending them home, eh? Absolutely. These children are so sensitive to volume status changes and shifts in their fluids and even some electrolytes that you would otherwise not be even checking. And so I often think twice before discharging these patients. I would tend to uh, monitor them and, and get them admitted sometimes more frequently than you would for your other kids, just because they're so sensitive to these shifts in fluids and electrolytes. The other thing that I learned from this case was some of the conflict resolution strategies that we can use in a critical situation. Because as you can imagine, I was standing in this room with a young infant that was sitting in the 40s, and an RT that wanted to intubate the patient. When we have a disagreement 
in a recess room, in a critical situation, it often helps to acknowledge your colleague's concern, but also explaining why we're not doing the usual therapies for this patient and why we're deviating from practice. Because here we're, we had a case where I was standing in a room with a baby who was sitting in the 40s and the RT that wanted to intubate the patient, which was would have been otherwise totally perfect in a typical ABC scenario where you secure the airway, you make the breathing better, and the circulation is maintained. This would have led to some disastrous consequences. And by providing that explanation to my colleague, we were able to actually de-escalate the conflict in, in, in that recess room and to move on with our management by getting that expert consultation. And lastly, what I learned is that despite my training and having an FRCP in emergency medicine, then another FRCP in pediatric emergency medicine, I realized that there is a limit to my expertise and my own knowledge and what we can do for our patients in the emergency department and when to seek help from our expert colleagues. And sometimes in a resuscitation situation, you often feel compelled to act and to intervene on the ABCs. But just like my colleague, Dr. Dave McKinnon, likes to say, don't just do something, stand there. That resonated in my head as I was standing there in front of this very sick infant. All right, thanks so much, Dr. Ben Yakov, for your amazing case. I think those few take-home points, one, that patients with bronchiolitis, really it's the volume status, not so much the oxygen saturation that's important to concentrate on. Second, that for congenital heart disease patients, even if they have just the sniffles, a minor, an otherwise minor viral illness or a gastro, they're very, very sensitive to fluid derangements. And you might want to think twice about sending home kids with congenital heart disease, even if they have what initially seems to be an apparently benign viral illness. Conflict resolution is something that we all need to work on. And that's really important because no one wants some huge fight going on during a kid with a critical illness. You want to really be able to uh, address the, the conflict head on, acknowledge the other person's concerns and explain to them why you're doing what you're doing. And then lastly, I love that line from Dave McKinnon, don't just do something, stand there. Until next time, take it easy. Thank you.